my name is Oliver James Braid. Hi, I'm Ellie Harrison. Eleanor Mary Gwyneth Harrison. That's right. Yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> Let's start formal. Although, actually, obviously, today we should be doing something a little more kind of informal. I think that position-wise, we're seeing a first in the history of the Ellie and Oliver show where neither of us are sat on chairs. We're yeah. kind of just sat on the floor, sort of lolling about in my flat in the East End. It's quite a casual vibe compared to the um, more formal setting of Lansdowne Crescent. <laughs> uh, yeah, and and today, actually, it's even worse than usual because it's a <laughs> massive big old mess because there's been like about seven artists traipsing around here for the last couple of days while we're just building a sort of funny installation on my water terrace on my water terrace we're building a water installation on my roof terrace <laughs> uh so if any glasgow listeners want to come down it's for open house which is also connected with the ellie and oliver long distance relationship uh yeah we're open 12 till 5 and then tomorrow we're open 12 till 10 uh feel free to bring your own bottles and if you want to just get a tan my terrace is a really big sun trap, so it's great to just come and hang out, maybe get a bit wet. Uh, we're on Hanson Street at Wasps. I won't say the address on the radio, but just have a check out on the Glasgow Open House website. Yeah, and try not to be ca- um, arrive in the next hour, because you might disturb us, because we're going to be broadcasting. Yeah, that's true. But there's some other people to let you in, though. <laughs> other people to guide you around, give you ponchos, get you wet. <laughs> yeah it's complete it's a complete contrast in fact i'm just uh, sitting on a little cushion on the floor so that song was a uh, east by billy paul yeah sorry 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 it's fine it's uh i was looking through my um ipod last night i was coming back on the train from inverness where i've been for a few days with my family and i was just in desperation looking through my songs <laughs> go i wonder if i've got any songs that actually are called east and there i found that and i wasn't sure about it because it's six minutes long but it just seemed perfect yeah i think it set the scene had quite a bohemian vibe yeah and actually <laughs> the lyrics um go wind blowing east which leads me on to quite an interesting anecdote that i wanted oh, to show yeah share me um i might have already told you actually it's something that i discovered a couple of years ago because you know like in big cities like london or glasgow or any yeah, i'm other aware of cities i'm a bit petrified of the bigger ones <laughs> but i'm aware but you probably notice that it's always the western areas of the cities that are slightly wealthier. Like, Oh, uh, I do know what you're going to tell me. If yeah, you, it's interesting. If you look at like London, like Kensington, the West End, all of those areas, they're all in the west. And obviously in Glasgow, you've got the West End, which is where all the posh English people like me (laughs) (laughs) live around the university campus and all the rest of it. And um, apparently the reason why this is is because in in the industrial times when there were still factories in city centres, the general prevailing wind, and I don't know whether this is just in the UK or whether it's a, a global thing, is from west to east. So all the smoke that belched out of the factories would blow from the west well, from the west end into the east end. So the air quality in the east end was a lot worse and therefore none of the well to do people wanted to live there and they just left that space up to the poorer folk. But of course the worry with that is that all the people who maintain in this kind of more isolated bubble, they lose all their resistance and tolerance for the low quality air, if we will, as a metaphor. (laughs) So then when they're faced with it, they're much more likely to die off quicker, aren't they? Mm. I think there's something a bit kind of more hardcore about these. Well, I'm sure notoriously, right? You can't, I mean, I guess like if the West is the posh side, then East is a little bit wilder. Yeah, but... I never really think about it like that. I know my friend Emily was walking to my house one day and there were loads of people having a fight with loads of broken bottles. And she was a bit like, whoa. 
Um, and actually, the first time I ever came to Glasgow, the first place I ever looked at was in the east, and a woman with no teeth came up and asked me if I had a lighter. She had like a little black dress on and no teeth. I was so frightened, and I thought, like, oh my god, I hope I never have to live here. And it was actually on Hanson Street. It was basically right outside this building that it happened. Little did I know that I'd be only about 20 feet away from a future home. Exactly. But actually, you are in a bit of a gated community here, aren't you? Yeah, oh my God, completely. (laughs) Bloody hell, no one can get to me, hopefully. (laughs) Because he lives in the artist studios. And actually, to go back to pick up some of the um, story from last week's show... I helped you find this flat, didn't I? You did help me find it. You did help me find it. But there's a certain feeling, once again, a bit like when I wanted to live at your flat and you didn't want me to live there. Yeah. Remember when I wanted to live in this flat and you didn't really want me to live here beyond the summer? Yeah. But here I am. I'm coming up to my first year anniversary. I know. Well, I didn't have so much power. Well, I didn't seem to have much power in stopping you moving into my flat in the West End either. (laughs) But the reason is that I didn't want to live here is because I'm the studio rep at Hanson Street. And I just wanted to go back to this relationship where we wouldn't, there wouldn't be any antagonistic things forced into... The relationship, like me having to tell you to take your bins out, or me... Or me coming up onto the terrace and finding you fiddling with my bins. <laughs> well, if you do leave the bin bags all out on the terrace, and I have to walk past them to show my visiting artist into the, the flat next door, then it is a bit problematic. But I think that, actually, um, having listened to last week's show, these... And at the end, when we're talking about Neil Scott and him saying, well, you need to have some sort of shared project in order to maintain a friendship. Actually, those little moments when I am forced to communicate with you are moments, you know, those those give us an excuse. To communicate. But they're also like, they just are what they are. Like, I suppose one of the things that I've been thinking about a lot in the last couple of weeks yeah is like my relationship to reality Hmm. and i don't know if this has some kind of eastern vibe in a way well actually it might be slightly (sighs) okay how can i explain this so i was thinking like a lot of the time when i deal with people and i deal with relationships what i'm quite often thinking about is like what is beyond that which is in front of me like what's on a person's mind or like and obviously the less you see someone the more that there's this line, I read a, my first Chuck Palahniuk book recently, and oh there's right. this line in it where it says, What you don't understand, you can make mean anything. And so it's like when someone's removed from you, um, you can make them <laughs> into all sorts of monster. It's like um, last, t- when we did the radio show originally, and sometimes maybe you were talking about like when you go swimming and you used to think about me in the swimming pool, but as a kind of like kind of abstract. Oliver not really like a concrete Oliver and actually like I suppose one of the things that I realized that over the last couple of years made me so neurotic yeah and insane <laughs> about lots of different things was my inability to s- to literally take what was given to me on face value like in a way instead of seeing something for what it was I guess I was always sl- so like say if I'm presented with someone who doesn't like me yeah then I might be like constantly focusing on like why doesn't that person like me why doesn't that person like me instead of just being like oh actually that person doesn't like me and that's reality so it doesn't really need to i like i could just not have any relationship with it but actually this this relates to something uh, last friday um which was the day before we did our first broadcast i was at the open house um launch party and i was waiting for you and I was waiting for you to come, and you didn't come, and I was really upset, and I was walking home, and uh, I called my mum, and I was like, oh, I feel really bad, I feel really sad about, because Oliver didn't show up, and I've got no way of contacting him, he hasn't got a phone anymore, and like, obviously thinking, oh, ref- thinking, oh, it must be, be, like, it's a personal judgment on me, yeah. like, doesn't want to spend time with me, and my mum was like, well, maybe you know, maybe he's got other things going on in his life. Maybe, mm. you know, and gave me this long list of possible reasons why he didn't come. And actually that it's not just about me. Yeah. It's not just a personal reflection on me. It's it's 
all manner of things. I mean, I've been thinking in a way like to take to understand something that offends you. Yeah. As like directly linked purely to you. I was thinking like the only way that that can happen is like if you then begin to become extremely solipsistic. Like I was thinking about unrequited affection or even homosexuality, perhaps you could say like if you're the only person that matters and everything happening in your head, why would you, unless you had a really damaged psyche, why would you be kind of creating this reality where things let you down or you were the minority against the minor uh, against the majority or something like that? Like actually that, you know, I, I was thinking really that kind of unrequited love or unrequited affection is almost proof of an external world in like a really practical way. Um, don't know what any philosophers <laughs> would think about that but i think it's like well i guess yeah other people's agency would prove that there's an external world unless you really hate yourself that much that the external world that you're conjuring up is one that consistently antagonizes you or, or doesn't help you out yeah. yeah but that could be possible too i guess yeah i mean the thing to remember is everybody's got their own shit to deal with haven't they well yeah exactly i mean i think what's uh, that that is good i mean i think like the the thing is though we don't want to get to the point where we then say so actually it doesn't really matter and we become really indifferent i used to be a real preacher of the concept of indifference um but actually then i read that zizek book the other week and um there's this bit where he talks about Ted Hughes and he talks about like Sylvia Plath killing himself herself and then Asia Weevil killing herself and he gives this quote from Oscar Wilde that's like to lose one parent is unfortunate to lose two looks uh, careless yeah and so <laughs> yeah I guess like he and the argument that he develops is about the idea of in, uh, like acting as if you are only subject to other agencies as if you don't have any agency yourself and actually the problem that that could bring if you followed it through to its logical extent so i guess i'm not pra- i'm not preaching indifference but i think like remaining slightly separate from people and realizing that you're not the sole cause or focus is going to make you have a much nicer relationship with people yeah um yeah whereas before i was never really able to do that because i was very much like concentrating on the future a lot like always about the future like yeah and trying to understand how people fitted into my life yeah um I guess I guess I don't feel so much like that anymore. (laughs) Yeah, I guess what's different about our relationship, maybe some of the stuff we talked about last time, is that because when you went away to France and you had all of these different experiences, you had all of these other people coming in and out of your lives. And I did, I mean, it's not like I just sat in that room on my own. I was busy (laughs) and I was at work and I was traveling around doing stuff. But at the same time, I was obsessing a bit about you and about you coming back. (laughs) As though you were... That you were my only friend. I'd kind of maybe put all my eggs in one basket in a really ridiculous way. So that when when you came back, I put all this pressure on you to, well, just fit, you know, pick up where we left off. Yeah. And to fill in this void that I've been feeling for the last three months. Oh, Oliver will be back and everything will be okay again. Whereas actually, what I what I had to do, and I mean, it's probably not a brilliant thing to reflect on but it did happen in this space like when I came into this flat I think in about June last year and I just had like a massive breakdown like because it was this huge like I came into the flat and I was just really upset and 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 crying and being very distressed and being a complete drama queen foaming you were foaming at Foam, the mouth foaming at the mouth but the, but the realize i the reason i was doing that is because i was having to make that massive scene was a way of sort of visually um what the, well how did i describe it like readjusting to our new relationship you know mm. my brain had to reconfigure into this new way of being with you where we weren't going to be it was never going to be as intense and as close as it had been when we lived together um but i had to sort of balance the scales a bit because it had tipped too much to the point where i needed you far more than you needed me and i had to make this conscious readjustment so part of that embarrassing um 
state that I got <laughs> into was a process of readjustment, which has been going on all year, where I guess I've been like thinking, well, I shouldn't put all my eggs in one basket and yeah. I need to develop stronger relationships with other people as I well. I sort of feel like these relationships, these stronger relationships, I guess the way I feel now is that rather than coming from kind of internal engagement or an engagement with like the person that you think that person is or something, it comes like from quite an engagement with like really just surface, which sounds shallow, but it's not really supposed to be it, but it's like just really understanding that what you get is what you get. It's what you're given. And so like, you can only really work with that. And actually, like, I, s- I was sort of thinking when you were talking then about that sort of uh, moment, shall we say, that you had. I was thinking in a way it's like this sort of reaction of someone who's kind of trying to fight against reality or sort of and trying to, like, almost kind of try to bend reality back or, like, try. it's like an ultimate frustration about the fact that, like, something's happened. But I don't think... I don't really think the shift in our relationship is th- I don't think it has to be that different I think actually like it's it's really about um yeah like really reading the surface rather uh, like I said rather than trying to read into other things so it's a bit like you know like when you first become friends with someone and they do something annoying or they're, they're late or something like that you don't lose your temper with them you just go because you don't think oh well they're gonna know what I'm like blah 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 so they'll just deal with it you only think well they only know what they're given as surface yeah. And and to maintain that to a certain degree, I don't know if it rules out intimacy. I'd like to hope that it doesn't. But I think it's it's about respect, mm. respect for surfaces, respect for people as well. Well, yeah, but then we have to talk about it because, like, obviously, for a long time, people used to criticise me for thinking that people were like objects. But actually, in my mind, it's like it turned out that I was actually right. <laughs> and that it's much healthier to think of people of, as objects because I guess we talked about objects withdrawing last week or all that kind of like object-oriented ontology malarkey. Yeah. I don't know if we did that much. I don't. I don't really want to promote it because I've sort of gone off it totally. Yeah. Um. Temporarily, but I like the idea of like, well, you know, again in that shishak. But basically, I changed all my ideas based on that book because I'm so weak-minded. Aww. But th- there's this bit where where he talks about like in trauma you know there's a tendency to retreat into the ideal mm-hmm. and so I really paralleled that with the idea that I became kind of interested in sort of metaphysics or like that that kind of stuff like when I was sort of going through a sort of trauma and I did sort of withdraw into the, like kind of ideas of the ideal yeah. but actually then what she said I just give a book review of that well then he mentions like the idea of falling into the real or falling back into the real the anti-metaphysical lesson um and I find that very attractive, especially because he talks about like pure subjectivity as this kind of nothing. And so I like for me, like he talks about the kind of Hegelian subjectivity as like this kind of like madness, this kind of void almost. So therefore I sort of think like, oh, he, he talks a lot about the idea of like the coma or the kind of idea of like the lights on, but no one's home Is in relation to the subject. Is it a bit like authenticity? Because I've been thinking a bit about that recently because I've been quite have quite an emotional time recently and been getting quite upset and 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 then it's very easy to distract yourself like one of the greatest ways to distract myself is to turn my computer on and start writing emails and start no. start working so I can be really upset and be really in this void moment where like it's so black and you just think you're never going to be able to get out of it yeah. but you can just switch your computer on and just get click back into well, the day, the humdrum of day-to-day well, day life. What's very interesting about what you're saying, I think, is that in a way you're sort of describing the attempt to or the actual engagement with kind of like a flow situation, like a sort of well-being flow that I guess we used to talk about a lot two years ago. Yeah. But actually then we see that it seems like almost this flow it does empty you out, right? Like you become like vessel or yeah, part of a machine or something like that, which to me, I guess if you extrapolated on that, it seems like it seems much more positive to think about people as objects, things that are like 
within themselves. Well, I was thinking, I wrote a bit of it on the internet last this week about someone that I knew once who didn't like me very much, uh, who said that they had a dream about me wearing pink socks and sandals. And obviously, like, in a way, this is, but like, this person was appalled. And, um, <laughs> but I was thinking, like, that is a real problem because actually to wear clothes that match, I mean, we all do it, but I guess, like, on a day-to-day basis, it seems like a kind of portable protest for the kind of concept of a spirit of unity, like everything should match and therefore on a much larger scale. And it seems like even as if things could match like that, whereas I think if you're wearing clothes, but they kind of don't match, then at least they all show up for their individual qualities or they all kind of stand out. It's almost like the reason that, like the fact that they don't work is what makes them stand out. That's a bit Heideggerian. <laughs> Well, wait um, until you see our photo. I think it's going to be quite a colourful affair this yeah, time. Yeah, me too. But I wonder, on that subject of distraction, should we play a song? Yeah. Because I was song. thinking about my, uh, I guess, my escape into the ideal a couple of years ago and how, I guess, we talked last week about me smoking a lot of cannabis as a way to distract my mind. Um, so, yeah, it's also International Cannabis Day tomorrow. So, again, we'll be up on the terrace celebrating in some way. Um, and I just thought, because we're in Scotland as well, it's nice to do a song by Soomti, uh, who I'm a big fan of, because she's got a lovely Scottish accent, and she released a whole album called Ode to a Carrot, uh, which is a lot of fun. Just every single song's about how much she likes smoking ganja. So yeah, this is They Call It Pop by Soomti. <laughs> Cannabis is a genus of flowering plants that includes three putative species known as Cannabis sativa, ruderalis and intercalam. Now, these three tags are indigenous and come from Asia and surrounding regions. Cannabis, you know, has long been used for hemp, for its medicinal properties, and as a psychoactive to cure all mental disease. Industrial hemp products are made from rich cannabis seeds. Figure the barley's cashes, jazz and ganja. Bungaba grass, river flowers and banga. A bush and red sativa gangsta. It grows in abundance of fibre and minimum THC, which is a psychoactive molecule that produces a stone. High effect that makes you feel your mind can finally breathe, usually associated with marijuana from good seed. The psychoactive consists of dried flowers and leaves of the plant selected to produce high levels of THC. Various extracts include ash oil and hashish. The cultivation and possession is outlawed in most countries. They call it pot. Black gold, banga bale, dongs, donkey, dick, and early purr. African wood vine, like the burning three fur. Blue sky blonde, and Bob Hope was there. Jefferson, they're roughly singing Jolly Green Jane. Joystick, John Jackie, the old Jamaican eh? Silver scones, this purple get that on the stage. Surging trees, to let your rising eyes. They call it pot, yes. They got it bad, we skunk, yeah, jazz and ganja. Boom, blah, blah, grass, river, flowers and banga. A bush, Cambodian, red sativa, gangsta. They got it bad, we skunk, yeah, jazz and ganja. Boom, blah, blah, grass, river, flowers and banga. A bush, Cambodian, red sativa, gangsta. I get me that puffy so now read me my Miranda. Jimmy the rope, reaching big 19.
Hi. Sally again. Hello, it's Oliver. Um, so that was They Call It Pot. By Zoom Tea. And uh, she was celebrating the joys of cannabis. She really was. And <laughs> something that Oliver likes to do, I'm I'm not really big on it, but yeah. I was reading I'm chilling out. In the in the um in the Guardian, as you do if you're a West Ender, um earlier in the week about four twenty day. And it really uh, spiked my interest because I thought, oh, this is something that Oliver, I'm sure he knows about. It's the kind of protest that he would want to get involved yeah, it's in. Lovely. Not protesting for the public ownership of public transport, something a little bit more decadent. <laughs> um, like protesting for the legalisation of marijuana. But I don't know if it is decadent, really. It's actually like, I don't know, me and my auntie Barbara sometimes exchange emails quite a lot. And I was talking about, she's American and quite oh. interesting character. We were talking about indulgence and the concept of indulgence. And I was thinking like actually a real problem is like lots of people think of indulgence as being like just kind of quick, like getting stuff, just having what you want, blah, blah, blah. But actually like I'm much more into, I don't know if I even talked about this last week. I'm really into like indulgence as this really like slow, long bath in something. Like mm-hmm. so rather than just trying to gather as much as possible, it's just like, yeah, just like don't know hanging around with that one kind of thing and i guess that's kind of the mood of cannabis right the, yeah. the general vibe well a lot of what it said about 320 420, 420. <laughs> um and, and and actually in hyde park they're having a massive gathering where everybody just goes and at four uh, 20 past four in the afternoon they all line up a spliff at the same time so nice and because there's tens of thousands of people doing it it would just be completely uh, irrational and impossible for the police to arrest everyone but actually the 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 thing that it said is um that a lot of people argue about it on medicinal grounds and yeah. do you remember a, a few years ago that guy got in touch with me who was um he he had some sort of condition that cannabis really helped with and he was like really involved in oh in campaigning wow. for legalization and um yeah, he got in touch with me through being about British Rail. I can't remember quite what he thought the connection was, but I guess he wanted... Well, you're all fighting for a better future. Tips on how to um, get into the media. Not that they need it. They've got 10,000 people showing up in Hyde Park. But um, there's one in Glasgow Green as well. I know, I know, I know. You won't be able to go. I know. You'll be I'll be doing my own private one. You will. Cannabis community of one. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, there'll be more than that. Actually, that's quite. That was, uh, yeah, that was last week. So, um, east and west, Oliver. East and west. I know that you are sort of working towards something in a city with a sense of that division, historical division. I don't know if you want to talk about that. I could talk a little bit about it. I mean, the last few days I've been trying to get together some ideas for a project in Berlin that I'm doing this summer. And I still haven't got them (laughs) together, but hopefully I will do before Tuesday. But I guess I've been, I mean, Berlin is, it's, I feel a bit weird trying to do a proposal for a city that's so far away when, you know, I'm in Scotland uh, sitting sitting in my studio uh, thinking about what I could do when I don't really have any connection to that space. But I've been there several times and it's obviously, you know, that, that city, in terms of east and west, like very, very, very symbolic in terms of how it marked this political divide yeah. which ran throughout the whole world through f- for the duration of the Cold War between two different political ideologies ideologies um the political divide it's like a it's like a symbolic uh, a sim uh, you know uh, the, the wall itself yeah was like a symbol of this of this divide so i don't know i guess i was thinking about um in binary terms in one one of the things you said in last week's show was about the yin and yang of Elian Oliver. <laughs> and it was funny, actually, that when we were in the West last week and re-listening to that show, we did talk a lot about finances. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's really interesting. A lot about... You're very West-based. About how you manage your money. Um, <laughs> and or, how don't. or don't. <laughs> um, this kind of capitalist mentality. And now we're in the East... Um, and when I arrived today at 10.30, which is what we'd arranged, 
It was just madness out on the terrace. <laughs> it was like a socialist utopia, you it could is say. like that. Everybody, all these artists, beavering away for this um, great, uh, like idea of what this amazing art <laughs> exhibition <laughs> would look like <laughs> you know working in unity to make this beautiful event oh, yeah. happen well actually though not like we should be careful about the word unity right i actually working like yeah i'm, I'm anti the spirit of unity well, I think that that was the problem with, with a lot of the, the socialist uh, regimes. It's really interesting when you look at some of that footage of um, their giant uh, displays. Have you seen the footage of like uh, 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 dis- like displays of thousands of people like doing smoking ganja? No, oh. choreographed <laughs> like. Um, not aerobics, <laughs> this place, but you must have seen like flash mobs footage of in 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 the USSR. Oh yeah, in the time of the Soviet Republic. Yeah, that they would make these huge spectacles. Oh yeah, sure. Of people moving in unity. Um, yeah, as a symbol of how you know they weren't an individualized. Um, nation it was all about coming together yeah. and the many acting as one and that's why i guess and the many acting as one is frightening isn't it this kind of zombie troop of or just one kind of but also i guess i, I was thinking yeah in in those kind of russian spectacles similar to the kind of nazi spectacles oh it's also worth mentioning it's hitler's birthday tomorrow um, <laughs> is it worth mentioning well it's interesting <laughs> well it is interesting for me, but for a completely different re- well, a very loose reason. Um, um, yeah, it's nice that he shares birthday with International Cannabis Day because I think, like, if he had uh, maybe smoked a little bit more cannabis, he might have had a bit more of a relaxed attitude. But who knows? It might have made him really paranoid in later life <laughs> if he'd have got to see in later life. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough hit the chat. Um, I can't think what it was that I was going to try and say to you. I, w- I did have something. Well, we're talking about unity. Oh, unity. Well, yeah, I was thinking this book that Barbara Ehrenreich wrote, you know, Dancing in the Streets. I think I used to talk about it a yeah, bit I before. Remember. There's a bit where she talks about those spectacles and how they play off on this kind of like tribal, early kind of very somatic uh, primal urge of people to move to music or move in time to sort of processions, things like that. But actually like... Then there's this this other kind of like there's also the audience who aren't really expected to join in. They're really expected to just stand still. So there's some mm. kind of weird restraint happening at the same time. Like well, yeah, I guess that's obviously what a spectacle is and why it's not just a big communal event. Yeah, but 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 like um, Wagner's idea of the Gesamtkunstwerk, which is uh, this idea yeah. of like where everybody's involved, that there is no audience, yeah. that. That 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 everybody gets so enthused by the the spectacle that they all become part of it, and that nobody's on the outside of art. That yeah. everybody is part of the art, and that is the ultimate pinnacle of art. Is when you know everything in life yeah. becomes <laughs> art, I suppose. And if you go out onto that terrace right now, you may just experience it. Well, oh yeah. <laughs> it's it's also though you have to be really careful about whether you're whether that kind of art that you're creating is narrative art or abstract art, I think in some ways it can be better if you think of uh, life as being like an abstract artwork. I think if you begin to think of your life as art and you then begin to think, on oh, this artwork has to have a narrative and therefore my life should have a narrative, then I think, again, you're falling back into quite a frightening trap. Isn't that exactly what the Ellie and Oliver show is about, though? Well, I mean, I think, like... It's, d- it's difficult, isn't it? But yeah, but look at what happened to our relationship because we tried to put it into a narrative form. I know. And actually, when I showed up today and you weren't ready to receive me <laughs> into <laughs> into the flat because it was just mayhem and you're trying to get things ready. And I, I, I went up to my studio and I started to feel quite upset and I just thought I'm not a little fucking pony I just can't come and perform. You know, this I can't just come and do this show. You know, this is a real... It, there is too much blurring between life and art, I yeah. suppose, in the Ellie and Oliver show. Like, this conversation right now, as it's happening, is a sort of therapy. It's like a sort of... It's, it's, it is our friendship 
enacted, actualized on air. Like, yeah. And you can't really separate it out. And maybe that is a problem. No, I, I think that one of the things actually would be much more helpful is to say, like, rather than saying you can't separate it out, it's actually like if you wanted to advance the kind of art as life thesis or whatever, then I guess like it would be good to come up with a more developed proposal of how that might work and i think that that would involve like having to uh accept i guess it comes back to this idea of like the surface the blockage the thing that you can't can't get beyond and actually maybe you don't need to get beyond it it's like um that's that's there first before anything else before the kind of the the interior thing or whatever it is that you might be i mean it's not interior right but this kind of ideal thing that you're trying to get at like actually being faced with reality is is i think much more hedonic i think it's anti-hedonic to try and engage with the ideal and sort of to have expectations uh, of what an ideal or a sort of unified um existence would be wow (laughs) (laughs) should we put a song on we better put a song on let's uh okay so i apologize it's my choice (laughs) and I, i i guess I was thinking I wanted to... I might change. Is that it? Right now? No, why not? Why not? But I can't remember if I've played The Cure before. You have played The Cure and you've played Pink Floyd. (sighs) Played anything that would be on a pub jukebox. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to play The Cure song um, close to me, but I I think I I may have played it before. Have you got any placebo? No. That's a shame. I haven't. That's a real shame. I think I am going to try and uh, play The Cure. Um, So, Oliver, I just need you to talk. Okay, so... For one... But commercial break, maybe. Oh, commercial break. Okay, well, if you go to www.oliverbraid.com and then click on the lifestyle section, you'll find a selection of beautiful products to enhance both your lifestyle and mine, including bags, prints, t-shirts and drawings. Don't forget that you can still get an official Ellie and Oliver Show t-shirt with, I believe, 50% off if you know the code. I'm not going to tell you the code. You'll just have to listen to all 52 Ellie and Oliver Shows from 2012. And if you can find the code, then congratulations, you've got yourself a £10 t-shirt. Okay, here we go.
time it wouldn't be an alien oliver show without a little technical hitch so that was the the cure and i just chose that i was going to play another brick in the wall and as a very corny way of referring yeah it's the only way that i the only reason i introduced berlin into the conversation but it's all right i know but then i changed my mind because i really wanted to play that song because the lyric is with reality close to me and i guess in a, ve- in a in a in a in a cheesy in another cheesy way, what I was thinking is about this political divide just being a completely um, constructed thing to separate human beings. Yeah. You know, and all humans are created equal. Yeah. Like I said before, we've all got our own shit going on. You Literally. Know, we're all trying to deal with life. And that these ideological divides have arisen to create the other, yeah. I suppose, to give us something to b- be in opposition against. Yeah, I mean, there is a way in which that can be very productive. Well, it can be productive in terms of, I guess, rallying around something. Like, you can rally around hate, but... I hate, <laughs> a, hate of the other, but <laughs> I guess I wanted to play that song to say, well, in terms of us, we might live on other sides of the city now. We might live in the east and the west, but the distance... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, where am I going with not this? So it sounded very pro-metaphysics. Sounded quite metaphysical. Yeah, but the, <laughs> but, the, but it is. I mean, the, dis- the in terms of the distance, like, I guess. I I, I don't know. I just I just have I just have hopes that these shows are going to be the beginning of something new. Actually, just reminds me of something terrible that I said to Natalia. Did you? What did you say? Uh, last Sunday, she asked me how was the show, and like, because the show was really intense, and the last week's been really intense, and I said to her, oh, it was a bit like um, when you accidentally have sex with an ex-partner. Wow, <laughs> okay. And, it, you know, it's this really emotional, intense thing, like, while it's happening, but then after then afterwards there's just this kind of sadness because Aww. you realise you can never go back to yeah, the way it was. Yeah, but we went out for dinner on Tuesday night. But there is no way it was. That's the thing. I mean, I guess that, that, that that's another idea of... Well, we have to be very careful with saying that because if you extrapolated that, it, it could lead to some horrible things. But there is a way in which you could say, like, it's much healthier to forget everything that happened beforehand. We can't forget, Oliver, because we've got it all archived. Well, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But maybe now when you listen to it, it, it's almost, it could be as if it's not me and you talking. 
Like, because when you listen back to it, like, as particularly when I say when you listen back to it, I mean, like, when you, Ellie Harrison, listens back to it. Yeah. Because you're listening to it in a way to, like, understand how the show worked or, like, what was good and what wasn't. You're already slightly distanced from it. So it's not like you're listening to it as Ellie Harrison. Although, well, I don't know, because I'm obviously still disgusted when I hear my voice. Uh, but maybe I would if, if that was someone else's voice too. But actually... Someone else has been cursed with this voice. In a really <laughs> sick way, when I listen to it, when Ellie Harrison listens to it, I'm listening to it to try to understand myself better. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm trying to understand what's really going on in my head by listening to my own radio show. Okay. And that's why I referred to it as therapy. And what's actually really interesting about the last show is at the end... And I say, in this really creepy way, and you should listen to it because it's hilarious, we're just about coming up to time now. (laughs) (laughs) What does that remind you of? Yeah, bloody hell. (laughs) Absolutely. You better say. Therapy. Well, when we used to do our Artist Anonymous group and ask a psychoanalytic psychotherapist who sat in on the group at the end she would kind of really awkwardly glance at her watch and so, like in a way that she didn't want to tell us you've got to fucking shut up now because I want to go home but she would say <coughs> we're just about coming up to time <laughs> I think it's actually like all the different people that I've been seeing those kind of capacities I think it's really interesting how they all have different ways of keeping an eye on the time like some people have their clock behind the patient's seat so that they can sort of try to but I think that I've never been in a therapy session where I haven't accidentally caught my uh, therapist or counsellor looking at the clock and it's not very good for your kind of ego right no Um, yeah someone else has it on their computer screen so they can pretend that they're looking at their computer screen I mean that's probably a little bit better yeah well it's it's like when I'm doing tutorials with my students and I don't really want to see them looking at my watch because I don't want them to think that you're bored or it's just a schedule that I've got to get through like it's actually much better I think to just have alarms isn't it because then you can just be like oh right that's it but then that's difficult to keep a structure as well isn't it yeah if you've just got endless spans of time yeah like some of the only other shows in the past have done but um on the subject of that just being about time now. Yeah. Is that just about... Are, are we co- sorry, what does she say? Uh, we're just about coming up to time now. <laughs> <laughs> but actually we are, Oliver. And I don't know whether we're going to um, reach any conclusions. But I guess I should just say what a joy it's been. It's been really nice to come back and do some more. I actually really enjoyed it. And I thought like it is a really nice activity. But you just never know what happens in the future, right? No, and I think, I guess we won't be doing any shows for quite a while. Like, you had this... Summer um, holiday idea. You had this. Well, do you had that fantasy. We did a show called Memories. Yeah. Um, which we did in February 2012. And you've listened to most of the shows, again, but you've never listened to that one. Yeah, I've never listened to Memories. You just have this weird fantasy that at some point when you're like, I don't know how old you're going to be. 60. When he's 60. Ish. He will listen to it to bring back that moment when we were in Liverpool and we broadcast live from the Royal, Royal Standard. Standard. But all of the shows will be like that for me. Like, I guess whenever I listen to them, I'll inevitably feel nostalgic about this time. About this mm. time. And because as you get older as well, I think you always look back on your youth <laughs> in a way w- where all the bad points have been erased i mean that's i definitely i mean that's definitely true the brain will make everything seem like as if it was completely fluid yeah cuz um, that's a coping mechanism that's yeah. it's it's the fact that the the brain like erases all the nasty parts which actually makes us keep going it yeah. actually makes us think that life isn't as bad as it as it can be at <laughs> times but web yeah i mean i don't want to push that idea of surface again but so we're gonna zone out quite soon i think but so i chose the last song i chose it because it's from a film that me and ellie went to see together which is uh life during wartime by todd salons who is like it's probably one of my favorite films i think he's definitely one of my absolute favorite directors (laughs) one of the reasons i chose it though is because in the lyrics, it talks about the ideas of... And, and actually, throughout that film as well, it talks about the ideas of forgiving and forgetting. 
and like I took it in a very kind of like face value sort of way of thinking about the relationship between the family and people like that that are uh the subjects of the film but it it took you to be there to make this sort of connection between like the fact that it's all for like Todd Salons is Jewish and and they talk a lot about it still being a war in the film so I guess it has some kind of Israel Palestine sort of vibe as okay. well and I think it was you that picked that out uh on or, or noticed it and so yeah I chose that but I also think it's a really nice way to um end okay. these two special shows okay Oliver <laughs> maybe it's a bit maudlin <laughs> let's listen to it bye bye fuck <laughs> sorry <laughs> here we go I try to forget I try to forget try not to relive what makes me upset we all make mistakes so why not admit Just like the air Laughter in water Laughter in water Time to reflect time Time to rethink time Laughter in water I try to forget the things you don't give, you always regret When times are so rough and people are dying I say that's enough, there's no use in lying Life during Life during wartime